0: My name is Mark Madison, and I am so very proud to have Fujitsu General America as a sponsor. At Fujitsu, they're focused on partnering with the best distributors and contractors to ensure that each Fujitsu heating and cooling system brings infinite comfort to every end-user. Swendnader played basketball for John Wooden at UCLA. And behind the great center bill walton he has a unique distinction of being the first and only first round draft pick that never started the college game however impressive performances at the olympic trials and several all-star games swen made it into the nba and played for over 11 years he's a highly sought after motivational speaker and has presented his energetic humorous and powerful messages across the world for corporations schools and various organizations. Welcome, Swen. Good afternoon. Welcome to Mark Madison on Books and People today. I am so excited about our guest, Mr. Sven Nader. Swen, how are you today? Mark, it's been a long time. I'm good. Um, and how are you? You know, if I was doing any better, I'd be twins. I'm just so. Right, yeah, yeah you, you better. So, I, I have to start uh, for those uh, listeners that don't know who you are. Uh, you and I met uh, at Bob Huber's basketball camp. I believe it was in the summer of 73, 74, right in there. You had just been drafted by the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, In the first round, you had the distinction of being the only center to ever be drafted in the first round and never start a college game. Is that right? The only player, yeah. Yeah. And you were with Don Johnson, the former All-American in in 1952 at UCLA, played for John Wooden. I
1: think it was Tom Lubin,
0: the assistant coach. Tom Lubin. Okay, that's right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. And he had you go through... Uh, a drill that lasted about 10 minutes and you ended it by dunking two basketballs. Now you're 6'11 and at the time I think you were about 260. You were one of the first guys I ever saw that had muscles and I was all of about 15 years old and I'm sitting on the bank with all the other guys but what made you dunking two basketball special was you had a 30 pound weight jacket on <laughs> and and then Tom Lubin says how many of you guys can dunk it? And we all raised our hand. And then he said, "Uh, how many of you think you can dunk it with a jacket? And I kept my hand up and everybody else put theirs down. So he said, come on down, young fella. And I had to prove that I could dunk it. So I dunked it. And then he said, now put the jacket on. And I put the jacket on. I couldn't even touch the rim. And that's when I found out how good I wasn't. And that was my first introduction to you. Do you
1: remember that? Yeah, unfortunately we don't have to play basketball with a 30 pound weight jacket on.
0: So you were oh, good. Oh my gosh. And uh, I was just, a couple months ago, I was just there at the old uh, Camp Casey with my son and we went down there and shot some hoops for old enzyme Now, you originally came from the Netherlands. How did you end up from the Netherlands to, to California? My, uh,
1: I was born in 1950. I was one of three kids. I was the middle of three children. My sister was the oldest, I was in the middle of the younger brother. I was three years old when my mom and uh, and my dad divorced. Uh, my mom got custody and of course, nothing else, just custody, no money, anything. Mm. So she took care of us, but she couldn't take care of all of us, uh, all three of us. So what she did was she farmed my sister and I out to a friend of hers who lived not too far away uh, she was uh, kind of in her 60s, I think, something like that. She had her mom and dad living with her. She took us in while my mom took care of my little brother. And uh, she was a woodcarver by trade. So she was able to, uh, she had a profession, so that was good. Then in um, 1955, so I'm three when they're divorced, I'm five in 1955. And we're staying at this lady's house and my mom and now my stepfather and my little brother came by to visit. And they announced that they were going to go to America and they were going to send for my sister and I as soon as they get the money, got the money, which, you know, they said was not going to be that long. Well. In 1959, nothing had happened yet. Wow. In the meantime, we moved from that house to three foster homes. And finally, we're in an orphanage for like a year in um, in Harlem. And uh, <clears throat> so we're called to the office <clears throat> in August of 1959, called to the office of the orphanage. And um, there was a director, and there a lady was sitting on a chair, and she was... Um, dressed in a uniform and the uniform was a a klm uh airlines uniform so the director announced that this lady was going to take us to america okay that's in august later okay what had happened was my when my mom and my my uh stepdad and little brother came to america they were sponsored in those days you had to have a sponsor right an American sponsor to make sure that you got a job, you got a place to live, you were going to make it, right? And these were Quaker people, really, really good people. And so they were, of course, in close touch. Now, my mom and they lived in Arizona, and that's where my mom and dad settled down. But then my mom, my dad got a job in Southern California, so they moved. But they still stayed in touch, you know, the the sponsor. And so the sponsor found out from my mom that my stepdad had no. Intention of bringing my sister and I over. No intention. He had two cars already. You know, he was doing pretty good and had enough money to send for us, but he didn't want to do it. So they went to a television show, a nationally televised Saturday evening show uh, by the name of It Could Be You. It was a show of surprises. I remember that. And it was live. Yeah. And they went to NBC and talked to these people and said, "Look, you got to do something. You got to get these kids over." So they they looked at the, th- the situation over and they said, "We're going to do it." So that's why that KLM flight attendant was there. Oh. She, was, she had been uh, you know paid by the NBC to to get us over from Amsterdam to New York and then New York to L.A.
0: She was part of the part of
1: the conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> now, my, my mom and stepdad had no idea that this was happening. So we get to, to L.A., we're in Beverly, we're staying at the Beverly Hills Hotel, Mark. I'm going from the orphanage in Holland to the Beverly Hills Hotel in oh 22 gosh. hours. <clears throat> Room service, swimming pool, you name it. Now, I didn't tell you this, but my hero in when I was in Holland was Roy Rogers.
0: Yes, mine too. Roy
1: Rogers, the Cowboys TV star, not yeah. not a real cowboy, but I didn't know. Right. And, and so every Wednesday at the in the the neighborhood in Holland, uh, we went to see the Roy Rogers show every Wednesday night uh, because uh, at this one house because they're the only ones that had a TV. Right. So I was expecting to see uh, Roy Rogers, and I thought everybody was cowboys here, and you know as it turns out, I was only probably a mile or two away from him
0: oh my gosh him and
1: dale evans yeah and trigger
0: yeah and trigger and bullet yeah (laughs) yeah.
1: nobody knows out there what we're talking about (laughs) i know he was a
0: singing cowboy
1: just google it okay so uh so anyway so we rehearsed for the show and then uh, and it was saturday well in the meantime the anderson's called my my mom and stepdad and said, we have four tickets to It Could Be You, which everybody knew what that show was. Right. And so uh, free tickets to see the show. So my mom and dad and the Andersons went to the show. and My mom and dad are sitting in the o- audience and uh, they had no idea what was gonna happen. We were behind the curtain. We were first up behind a curtain. They had built a windmill about six feet high uh, cut out in the back, so my sister and I could fit inside. They had tulips all around. The, the
0: oh my area. gosh!
1: They had uh, uh, wooden shoes sitting around, <laughs> and yeah, it was uh, the only thing I was missing is is the cow poop smell in Holland. But you know that's tough to duplicate in Hollywood. Sure. So anyway, uh, so the announcer said, "Mr. and Mrs. Langenberg," that was my stepdad's name. Uh, please. Uh, come up to the stage so they went up to the stage and they asked him a few questions they opened up the windmill and out we came
0: wow that's a short story long yes the, uh, and all of a sudden two kids were thrust on him the ones he didn't want oh god he was pissed i'll bet he was really mad so you you shot up to like six eleven, and you're walking across the campus at cypress community college and was it Don Johnson that approached you? Lubin, Tom Lubin, it, the assistant coach. It was Lubin. And what did he say? You want to make a million dollars in the NBA? Was that a sales pitch? <laughs> no.
1: See, I didn't. I hadn't played basketball in high school. I wasn't even on the team. And I, I tried out once, but they didn't want me. So, <laughs> so, so I'm. I've never. I never played basketball. I got. But I played, you know, with my brother, we, we played a lot, you know, we were always trying to imitate Will Chamberlain and Jerry West and Elgin right. Baylor, you know, with all those moves. Right. Um, and we were out there, you know, playing around like kids do. I'm sure you did the same thing. Yeah, of course. So we were uh, doing stuff. And in the meantime, you know, my well, my vertical jump didn't go up at all. Now, um, I was white, but I was slow. Right. Okay. So. Uh, yeah, I walked onto the campus of Cypress College as a freshman and uh, was going to be a math student. I was really good at math. And uh, Tom Lubin actually said one of the other players over there because he saw this big, tall kid and, um, and asked me if I was going to play basketball. And then I was introduced to Tom Lubin. Now, Tom Lubin's uncle was Frank Lubin, who was the center on the first United States Olympic team. Oh, wow. Basketball team, 1936, Jesse Owens' year. Uh, and he was a great player, UCLA All-American. Hmm. And so he taught Tom the hook shot, and then Tom taught me the hook shot. He said, go out and shoot 200 a day. I went out and shot 500 a day, Mark, 500 right. a day.
0: I remember, <laughs> yeah.
1: What I was doing with that weight jacket, <clears throat> I was doing the same kind of workout. I didn't care. No work was hard enough. I saw something I love to do. And somebody was willing to, to help me. And I said, this is my shot. And, um, and so I was horrible the first year. My, my, my stepdad let me play because Lubin talked him into it. Now the next year or the summer between my freshman and sophomore year at Cypress College, I'm, I'm, I was 6'9 I was when I came to Cypress. But by the time the, my sophomore year started, I was 6'11. Right. But I went to the ghettos of LA and found Jim t- Lubin drove me over there every Saturday. And in the meantime, I we lifted weights and did my hook shots and moves and things. And I got better. I got better really fast. At first, for those pickup games, and nobody ever wanted me on their team. <laughs> and I was the only white guy in the in the gym. But that's not why, because I was horrible. Right, <laughs> I right. Been, uh, white and good, they would have wanted me because you know if you win you stay on right yeah that's exactly you got to wait an hour so right they're not going to mess with that but i i earned my stripes and uh and by the end of summer everybody wanted me on their team Hmm. and so um i ended up i started out the sophomore year really really good had a great game against the number one center in the state and um hit two free throws to win it uh you know 35 points 25 rebounds something like that and and, um, <clears throat> and then my stepdad saw the article in the paper and told me to quit the team. He said, you tell the coach, you're not playing basketball anymore. So I left home. I yeah. moved in with some people, finished out the year. I was All-American and, you know, averaged 26 points, 16 and a half rebounds at Cyprus, got recruited by major universities, decided to go to UCLA. Um, and I guess the rest is history.
0: Now, there's some mixed uh, uh, messages about the the pitch that John Wooden said. But he, what I remember you saying to me was, "Do you want to play against the best center in the country every night, mm-hmm. right? Knowing that you probably wouldn't get a lot of playing time, but but because you'd be playing with Bill Walton, you would you would evolve and end up in the NBA." Was that really kind of how it came about?
1: Yeah, I'll tell you how that was. It was it was just like that. I that was my last trip that I took. You, you, you can take five. You can visit five colleges. Right. I so I went to Denver, Denver University. Stan Albeck is the coach. I remember him. And they rolled. They my plane landed. They rolled out a red carpet, and the mayor was there to meet me. Wow dinner, all that stuff, and prom- they promised me a starting spot and whatever, a place to live, all that stuff. I went to Lubbock, Texas, Texas Tech. Bob Bass was the coach. Yeah. They rolled out a red carpet and had the 1969 football centennial queen there to go on a date with me. <laughs> and she wrote me a letter afterwards saying, I love you and I sure hope you come. <laughs> and uh, oh, gosh, I went to Florida State that was a bad experience because they, they paid, they gave some of their players some money and they took me to a porn flick and I didn't even know what that was.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: And, uh, and I walked out. So, and then the guy, the coach gave me a bunch of money to take with me. Right. Right. And you know, I didn't want to hurt his feelings. So I took it, but I went to, uh, uh, USC, and uh, Bob Boyd was good, gracious. All that, everything was above board there. But you know, I was going to be the starting center. They all promised me starting spots. Right. Wooden, Wooden takes me with Ducky Drake, and uh, and I think with um, uh, Denny Crom to a track meet at UCLA. We're watching a track meet, and and he's and you know we're walking in between uh vaults and uh and sprints and things like that he talks to me and he tells he tells me I'm not gonna promise you a, a starting spot. I'm sure the others are. I, I can't. In fact, you're not gonna start. In fact, you're hardly gonna play because Walton's gonna come in and uh and I play only seven players. So you're probably gonna get two, three minutes a game. But let me tell you this. If you don't have a lot of experience, so if you want experience, and that's what you need, and coaching and fundamentals, this is the place to go, I think, because you, uh, you're you gonna play against the best center in the country every day. You're gonna play against the best team every day, and you're gonna have my coaching with the fundamentals. And he said, with your body, the way it's filling out, I think you have a shot at going professional. And he said, and we'd love to have you as a backup because I think you're just gonna get better and better, and you're gonna make Bill Waldman. Um, as good as you can be you're going to help do that and you said and that's my promise to you
0: no homecoming queens no cash just a promise of hard work and a commitment
1: just a promise that you're going to play yeah <laughs> practice
0: yeah you get to play in practice now and I, and I said i'll take it <laughs> yeah and uh, and coach wooden of course is you know coach of the century the wizard of westwood more championships than anybody else and and you had told me that long after you were done playing you talked to coach wooden almost every day right up until the day he died not not every day no no okay but on a regular basis on a regular basis what a what a great minute could there have been a better mentor for you no, especially
1: at that time when I didn't have uh, a father, right? Right. So Lubin was a great mentor. Lubin was the best mentor I ever had. Wow. You, you met him. I did. And, uh, but you didn't know him very well. He, this guy, he just passed away just like three months ago. Oh. This guy was one of the great human beings, an incredible te- chemistry teacher. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. you should hear what his students and, and he taught me stuff you know coach Wooden always said never do anything for for uh, your student that he or she can't do for themselves that they can do for themselves right he's like that he'd show you but then you got to do the work he'd show you give you a hint and and he took me down to the ghetto and when i was discouraged he would pick me up and when i was big-headed he pulled me down he'd knock yeah. me yeah um,
0: he kept you right-sized he was so good and, and he,
1: he spent so much time with me wooden was a great example of what a man should be right uh, day in and day out but what i got uh, from him was because we didn't spend a lot of time with him um you know nobody did uh when we were playing for him but you can spend as much time with as you wanted to after but um but i But I saw what a great teacher he was. And when I started teaching
0: myself, that's when I realized that this guy was a master teacher. He taught something he called the whole part method. Could you, in chunks, could you explain that? Oh, yeah, that's, that's common. Um, He learned that from his high
1: school coach. Uh, Gosh, his high school coach in Indiana. Oh, man. Where he won a state championship. (laughs) Yep. Won a state championship. And a very small school. Yes. Because all the schools were in the playoffs. But anyway, uh, you you show the whole, you teach the parts and master the parts and then put it back together again. Okay? This is something that's very difficult for high school coaches to do now because they don't have the, the amount of practice time. Right. It all started with... Uh, uh, when the girls had equal got equal time in the gym, so you, the the guys got less less time. So, but um, but it's still possible to do it. And it's it, you have to do it. A lot of people, uh, teachers, they start working on the pieces, and then the players have no idea what those pieces belong to. It's like uh, doing a puzzle, but you don't have the picture in front of you. Right. You know, you this looks like it fits together. But if you know what it looks like, it's all going to make sense, right? And when it makes sense, people work harder. And and the improvement and and the putting together of it is accelerated. That's just one of the things. Uh, There are many teaching principles. One that uh, people don't really know about is that when he wanted to introduce a new drill, wanted us to do a new drill or activity of some kind, he would introduce it on one day, kind of walk through it, and then we would do it the next day. He'd never do it on the same day. Hmm. Um, it sinks in, and you're ready. It's amazing. The next day, you know it's coming. <laughs> so, creating the expectation. It works better, yes. Yeah. Well, then, the y- you the were. Thing, uh, I'm going to just one one more thing. Oh yeah, yeah. He. Uh, everybody knows what scrimmage is in practice. Scrimmage is when you go up and down full court, right? Scrimmage. Right, right. Mark, you might be surprised if you don't know this, but in a UCLA practice, we never went up and back, ever. When he taught the the five on five, we'd start on one end and then transition to the other end, right? After a made shot, a missed shot, a turnover, a rebound, whatever. Right. And then he'd stop and put the same team back on offense and do it again. He'd teach. And then back again. He'd teach. Back again. he teach. That That's how, for, for 20, 25 minutes.
0: It's all about repetition.
1: Repetition. The same, the same uh, uh, team doing the same thing over and over again. Because you know when it, when you go up and down, up and down, it gets raggedy, right? People start cherry picking and- Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to share that. That's, that's genius,
0: but it's common sense. Well, and no one else did that. I mean, you, I don't even know if you know this, but you were quoted in a book called The Talent Code by Daniel Coyle. Mm. I don't know if he reached out to you for an interview, but you were quoted in that book and this is what he said. He said, Swen told me, our practices were mini clinics, fast paced, never longer than five or 10 minutes, these, these little clinics. Teaching the whole part method, he would teach players an entire move, then break it down to work on its elemental actions. And he formulated the laws of learning, explanation, demonstration, imitation, correction, and repetition. Don't look for big, quick improvements. Seek only small improvements, one at a time the importance of repetition will be uh, of the auto, automaticity cannot be overstated. When I asked why the reps were so important, he said, repetition is really the key to learning. It creates muscle memory and the summer between my junior and senior year, you say like coach wouldn't ask me if I will be willing to shoot, you know, 200 hook shots a day and you shot five. So do you agree with that? I mean, this was quoted in a, what I consider to be a, a tremendous book.
1: Yeah. There are, Four laws of learning, demonstration, explanation, correction, and repetition, but there's really eight. Ah, okay. Tell us the eight. There's demonstration, explanation, correction, repetition, 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 repetition,
0: repetition.
1: (laughs) Now, don't get me wrong. You know, you can repeat something when you're doing it wrong, and it's it's not going to help you. Right. And they say, perfect practice, make perfect. Right, Um, But what happens in, you know, you're a speaker. So you you memorize your speeches?
0: Uh, I, Swen, I do something called a set list. And I lay out what I'm going to talk about uh, in first I mind map it, then I, then I put prioritize it, then I lay it out and I use keywords. So, but I'm telling certain stories I've told, you know, hundreds of times. Right. So when you tell these stories, for example,
1: you tell it once, twice, you know, you're practicing this this story, right? Yes. And all of a sudden, something magical happens. You start hearing your speech from the spectator's view. Yes. And you start making adjustments. And you start trimming and rearranging Yes. and things and this so the, rep, the the repetition is what happens in repetition is discovery and purification yes and tweaking and yeah. you know I'm a magician I, I do uh, I do magic a lot of magic cards uh, coins things like that and I'll do a, a trick 50 times and after about three or four, oh Hmm. that's how you do that okay right but what if i did this and what if i did that and you know you start tweaking and that's the repetition we're talking about right and that's what happened at ucla practices where because of the repetition we we knew we knew it so well that we started it went into automatic we didn't need to think About the play anymore, we start creating.
0: Yes, all of a sudden you cut back door.
1: Yeah, we all of a sudden cut back door. All yeah, we did this and that, and coach just smiled. Yeah, now with Bill Walton, he had to say, No, 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 Bill, don't do that.
0: <laughs> and we're still saying that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so but for the rest of us, yes, you know, some of us were allowed to be a little more creative than others, and Bill, actually, in truth was extremely creative yes
0: a phenomenal it, passer
1: oh man he he did things out there that coach wouldn't uh, never thought of and that's what coach said he said i want you to do things out there that i didn't think of yes but, but i'm going to give you the fundamentals and the framework and and in this way you can adjust to anything that happens
0: right repetition because you have the foundation and you're right when there comes a point where you you literally hear yourself telling the story and you go oh okay i think next time i'm going to pause a little longer after i say that part right so you start to notice kind of better ways to deliver the same story yeah
1: it's all about the repetition makes it uh puts it into uh what, what do they call it you don't have to think about
0: it anymore yeah it's automatic it's automatic uh,
1: and you're thinking, and now your mind is free to say whoa what about this as as a magician once i get the trick down and, I, and and my body remembers how to do it and i can feel my way through it i start thinking about what i'm saying to the audience right. and how they're reacting you know and i start learning and going with the flow uh and laughing with him and that, but I can, I can, I, I'm always, my body is, is doing the trick, but now my mind is, and my voice is free to, to make it
0: entertaining. Right. Because then you can add to it. Mm-hmm. The automatic part of it kicks in, then you can start to improvise. Uh, okay. I heard Coach Wooden speak in '93, and he was amazing. I know it was the same speech he'd given a 100 times, and, you know, it was 45 minutes and it was canned, but I didn't care because it was Coach Wooden, but I got to ask him two questions. Uh, what do you miss about coaching and what's your favorite book or what big book had the biggest impact on you? And he said, I miss planning the practices. We used to spend two hours with the coaches planning every practice. And all I could think of was who spends two hours planning a practice. And the answer is, is the greatest coach that ever lived. Right. Yeah. And then, and then he, then he said Magnus Obsession was the book that had the biggest impact on him after the Bible. Huh. So I immediately went out and bought it, read it, and then I wrote Freedom from Fear. It's literally what inspired me to write Freedom from Fear. And so indirectly, Coach Wooden was responsible for and that. And that was your first book, right? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh, so you've written more than one book. You wrote a book of poetry, uh-huh. right? And Coach Wooden influenced you in that way, too, because he, he was really big on poems. Right. And then what was the other book you wrote?
1: Oh, uh, You Haven't Taught Until They've Learned. That's a study on John Wooden's teaching. Yes. That's uh, West Virginia University Publishing. Uh, I wrote John Wooden's UCLA offense with Coach Wooden for Human Kinetics. Okay. I wrote Pete Newell's playing big with Pete Newell for Human Kinetics. Nice. I wrote now, isn't that, the
0: court at, at Berkeley named after Coach Newell? Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, it says Pete Newell court there. I noticed that oh, just what recently. A, what a guy, what a guy. Well, he uh, was like the best big man coach ever, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> he was good. <laughs> he was good. You learned something from him. He he ran really good uh, uh, clinics, right? But right. but he had Daryl Imhoff uh, as a when he was at Berkeley. Was he at Berkeley?
0: I don't no. remember. I remember Imhoff. I just don't yeah, remember. Yeah,
1: Imhoff was at Berkeley, and then uh, and then uh, Russell was at San Francisco. Right. So they played against each other. And um, San Francisco was a, you know, University of San Francisco with Bill Russell was- Yeah, two championships. The ranked, yeah, ranked number one in the nation. And uh, let's put it this way, like Pete said, and let's put it this way, we were not. (laughs) So so Darryl could choose from the outside. So he put Darryl out about 15, 20 feet and, uh, and, Russell had to guard him, where he na- and he was nailing shots, right? Right. And that allowed, uh, I don't know if Cassie Russell was on that team or not, but I think so, uh, and allowed Cassie Russell to drive on the weak side uh, and, uh, and go in for layups. Russell couldn't get there, or Cassie would kick it out to Darryl. Uh Well, they got in foul trouble, and, or they would have had a chance to win the game. Daryl Amoff is famous for being the guy that Will Chamberlain scored 100 points on. By the way, oh my gosh! <laughs> so he, had, you know, he had a couple of tough guys there. Uh, yeah, he's a great
0: guy. He knows a great guy. Great mind. So, Lynch. so five books. So, how does somebody get one of your books if they want to order one? I uh, they're all on Amazon, I think. Is there Amazon or okay? Or something? you're asking me? I'm asking you.
1: I don't. I don't check it out. I just, <laughs> I just take my thirty dollar a year royalties and go to the bank and cash it.
0: Yes, yeah. you're getting thirty. Good for you. Thirty. Yeah. 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 So yeah, and I wrote. Uh, so
1: my wife and I are writing a book for kids about early teens. That's crazy stories that may or may not be true. Oh. So this is really fun. Really fun. We write. We we wrote a story about. The astronauts on the Apollo 3, right, going to the moon. Mm-hmm. And that they actually found cheese. <laughs> actually found cheese up there. But it was really bad cheese. The moon people didn't know how to make good cheese. So they brought some American cheese with them. And that's why there's American flag up there right now. But that's a story. But, you know.
0: That's the kind I like to read to my granddaughter. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. I'll send you some.
0: Uh, that's good stuff.
1: Yeah, we got a few. So, anyway, books. Um, if you, uh, you can find, I think, all of them on either Human Kinetics for the two. The UCLA Offense, if somebody's a coach, is a really good book uh, to get because you get an idea of the offense that we ran. Yes. But, but, Mark, you know that that's the offense, but what really happened was could have been totally different, right? Because we were allowed such freedom. Uh, Our practices
0: were uh, a laboratory for experiment. And I think you had told me that the games were actually a breeze compared to practice.
1: For me, because I was on the bench.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But come on, you played 12 seasons in the NBA. You led the league in rebounding (laughs) three times. You're the only guy that ever led the ABA and the NBA in rebounding. I know. Right one time, so one
1: time I was having uh, lunch with Coach Wooden and a bunch of people, and I cracked a joke, and Coach Wooden said, "You got a million jokes, don't you?" He said, "Where do you get those?" And I thought I'd take the opportunity and I said, "You know, coach, uh, you didn't play me much. I was on the bench, so the people behind me in the stands would tell me jokes. <laughs> that's how I learned. It. He said, that's you interesting. were supposed to be watching the game. He said, that's interesting because I looked down the bench. I was going to put you in the game, but I saw you looking behind you.
0: So I didn't bother. (laughs) Man, you couldn't get anything past him. He was like a goalie. Nothing. Uh, he, He had a good sense of humor, didn't he? But he, but he wasn't funny. No, he's, he's
1: still a mystery. Mark, he's still a mystery to many people of how somebody like that, that's that good of a person can be so tough of a coach
0: yes so tough
1: of a coach and a nice guy
0: but he the difference was he was a man of his time you know the coaches like bear brian and vince lombardi and coach wooden they never said good job they never said i'm proud of you way to go because the prevailing thought was if you told a kid he was doing well he'd stop trying
1: yeah uh, kareem came with his report card to Coach Wooden and said, look, I got an A in this class. Coach said, you're supposed to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, high expectations, right? And, and in
1: practice, you do something right, you're supposed to. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's not like that's some miracle and, and, and we really appreciate it. Oh my you know? gosh. If we're gonna win a championship, you're supposed to. Right. Yeah, that's it. And, then, and then we kick it up a notch and get you better.
0: We never, oh my gosh,
1: we never stop trying to
0: get better ever. Well, and that's the key, isn't it? Just ongoing, never-ending improvement. Now, are you still speaking? Because we're about to run out of time. We got about five minutes to go. So, uh, are you still speaking on a regular basis? No, but if you got an idea
1: somewhere, I can go. I'll tell you, I'm not doing much of it. I'm very, very open to it. And I think the people out there know that what I can do.
0: Yeah. Um, I I had the privilege of sharing the stage uh, with you, my friend, and you have a real presence. It's not just because you're 6'11 and 295, but you you have a presence. The stories you tell are powerful. And I think we've kind of picked up on that in this little podcast. So
1: and that was at the uh, the National Beer Drinkers Association, right?
0: Uh, look, I've been sober 41 years. I'm pretty sure that's a lie. <laughs> uh, you know, some I had a client say, hey, what are you drinking? I said, a cranberry juice. He said, what do you got, a urinary tract infection? He said, let me get you a real drink. And I said, no, if I have one, I have 20. If I have 20, I'm dancing naked on the table and hitting on your wife. Yeah. He's, he said, all right, let me get you a cranberry juice. You know, that's so. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm not, a, not much of a drinker. Um, now, before we run out of time, both your daughters played basketball in college, did they not? Uh, one of them did. One did. She, yeah. Was it Idaho? Is that where she played?
1: She, well, they were in Idaho at junior college, but uh, Alicia played at uh, UCSB. Okay. Uh, and then she went on to Florida. But, you know, she passed away.
0: No, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, she she was uh, heavily in the drugs, the, the strong stuff, the meth and all that. Oh my gosh. So she passed away January the 31st, 2017 um, in her apartment in Auburn, Washington. and Left us a beautiful uh, child who's now 10 years old, Chase Maxwell, who's just amazing. Oh. Um, and wow. uh, she's with the Lord. I know yeah. that. Yeah. And so... You know, uh, every day I have memories of her, but yeah, she played basketball. She was a lot like me, you know, just bang tough and all that. They won, you know, she and her sister won two state California championships.
0: I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was listen, my friend. Oh my gosh. I wish we had more time. We need to do this again. Okay. I'm open to it. You know, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. So. Buddy, thank you so much for making the time.
1: Okay. Marks. uh, Goodbye, everybody. And, uh, never stop trying to be as good as you can at something
0: amen brother thanks a bunch this podcast is brought to you by the team at fujitsu general america and like this podcast they're focused on education and development from the day they sold their first comfort system in north america they've been unwavering in their focus on training it doesn't matter if it's application installation or service a better trained technician brings better value to the homeowner so when you're looking for infinite comfort. Think Fujitsu. Thank you for listening. If I struck a chord, inspire you to action, or piqued your curiosity, let me know. Call or text me at 206-697-0454 or send me an email at mark at sparkingsuccess.net. Should you wish to hire me to speak to your organization or association or order one of my books, simply go to my website, www.sparkingsuccess.net. And remember, make it a great day unless you have other plans.